Hey everyone, welcome to Behind the Ledger, the only accounting podcast that has been built from the ground up to highlight the stories of the people who work in the accounting industry. This week we'll be joined by one of our good friends and CFO of Visit Colorado Springs, Jason Cutshaw. We had a great conversation with Jason about what it's like being a CFO in the DMO space, um, what the DMO space even is, and the various hidden treasures around the Colorado Springs and Pikes Peak region. We hope you enjoy this episode of Behind the Ledger. Now on to the show. All right. Well, welcome everyone. Welcome to episode one of Behind the Ledger. I'm Chad Elston, along with um, Dan Schmidt here, and we are joined by Jason Cutshaw, the CFO at Visit COS. He's been kind enough to join us here today. So um, we look forward to a conversation with you, Jason, and, and just take appreciate the time um, that you're spending with us today. Having said all of that, if you could just start us off with a brief introduction of of your your role yourself and a little bit about your background it's a pleasure to be here with you guys and and be able to talk about you know these items that are near and dear to a lot of us but i'm jason cutcher the cfo here for visit colorado springs um i have been here for about uh right at this weekend will be 10 months so you know relatively new uh to the position and to the region but i'm originally from uh, Northeast Tennessee. So I was very proud to see the volunteers had a halfway decent football season this year. So finally, we were able to kind of cheer them on. Um, after many, many years, I joined the Navy at 18 because I was like, I live in the mountains. I want to live at the beach now. So I was stationed in San Diego, Virginia Beach, North Carolina, then ended up in Florida. So after eight years on active duty, I did 16 in the reserves, but that's what kind of put me in Florida. And I became a park ranger. Uh, there because I was like, that just sounds like the best job in the world. So I did that and went into management until like 2016. And then I got in, finished my bachelor's degree and became a director of administration for a CVB in the Panhandle in the uh, 30A region. And um, after being there for almost seven years, an opportunity came open out here. And I was like, why not put my hat in the ring and apply? Um, I'd already visited the area and kind of fell in love with it. And so um, they blessed me to be able to come and work here and relocated my wife and I to the region. And, it, and it's been great to be a part of it here. So I think for us today, you know, we're talking about DMOs. We're going to use a lot of acronyms. So if, if we could start there, like what is a DMO and how, why is it important to a community? Um, and what is the significance of a, of a DMO? Well, a, DN, a DMO is um, an acronym that's that's been around for quite a while. Uh, it's it first started out as a destination marketing organization. Um, some some areas or some DMOs in some region kind of have become a destination management organization. You know where they're doing a bit more beyond just the marketing of the region. Uh, DMOs they're usually structured in different ways. They can be county, they can be a city, they can be a nonprofit. Uh, for us, VCOS is a private nonprofit, 501c6, uh, so we're a trade organization, and that funding is, is both private um, and public. So public, really, uh, City of Colorado Springs is our main contributor, and then we do have membership, which Ledger is a member of ours, and we're very thankful for that. And uh, that, that really is kind of the overlay of, of who we are, but they're, they're structured different. That's one thing I've learned working at two different DMOs, uh, but knowing... Uh, many throughout the United States and Canada, uh, they're all structured a little bit different, but our main mission is always, you know, representing the region, the destination. So what is the importance 
minimum? Like, what is the um, not, not the, what is the importance of a DMO in a region in your mind? Well, I mean, in my mind, DMOs provide, of course, they provide, you know, information and inspiration uh, to locals, visitors, um, considering, you know, hosting events. You know, we're going to go after conventions and meetings and destinations. We're going to really represent the region and everything you have, whether it be attractions, accommodations, you know, natural and cultural you know, history, ecotourism. Um, but they really, you know, to me, and one thing coming from Florida, which was a huge tourism, that was the main economic driver for the entire state. Um, you know, they, they really kind of steward that economic driver aspect of tourism. We provide brand recognition. You know, we want people to know who we are. And so they remember it and they want to come back and visit or they want to visit for the first time. We'll do pinpoint marketing, uh, whether it be geofencing, um, according to studies and statistics that we have in research on our visitor or new markets. Um, we'll do a lot of destination programs with partners within the region um, in the community so they can advertise collectively to make it more attainable for them because we help offset some of that cost or we'll do a, a co-op with them. Um, so which that really helps that community engagement. It helps to be able to create it more, of course, like I said, more attainable. We also provide a lot of support to the city um, and the county for process and action. So if they, you know, we have an event that happens here and it may be good or bad, then a lot of times they'll reach out to us um, to help them or assist them. Um, even back at the DMO that I was at uh, in Florida before, of course, we have hurricanes are really the number one deterrent for travel and everything else. So. I was part of the emergency operations team for the county. So if we had a hurricane or a storm, then me, um, our social media uh, person, our, our PR person, would go and we would pull 12-hour shifts inside the emergency operations center during these time periods, and we would help them. We would talk to, you know, whether it be communicating with, um, you know, uh, lodging partners out in the community. How are you doing? Do you have availability? You know, where can we shift resources to during an emergency time? So those are some things that sometimes people don't think about DMOs and then being able to jump into that because we, we have that knowledge base of what those resources are and we practice communication every day, all day. So it's a little, a little different. Yeah. You had, uh, you talked about the M being the shifts in some organizations from marketing and management. It sounds like that's what you're talking about here with the emergency management and plugging into those things. Is that a trend in the DMO space that they're making that move from marketing to management? Is it, is it fully developed or is everybody headed that way? What, how's that playing out? It, it is starting to head that way. A lot of, you know, DMO support, of course, like I said, the local economy, and they encourage those responsible tourism, you know, to build the community through that economic stability and quality of life improvement. So what ends up happening, it's like, you know, if the city or the county has, you know, a steering committee that's about, you know, like open spaces and how can we make them more accessible, then we jump on board and we help them with some of the resources and tools we have, you know, from that perspective. I um, mean, we also give that voice uh, of the region. So if there's a, a tourism related challenge, 
uh, planning or operations or research, sometimes we'll step into that field. Like, you know, an example is like a planning department that's going to produce a short-term rental ordinance, you know, because maybe they've got some challenges with Airbnb and VRBOs, so they need an ordinance. They've never had it before. You know, I've played a role before in that to be able to work with the planning department to make sure all parties are represented, you know, including the ones that are the, the owners of the short-term rentals and make sure their voice is hard and try to keep that balance. So you're right. That's, that's been that shift because that's not really marketing. You know, that's, that's strict community engagement and operations to try to create a process or a plan together. So it's definitely changed over the years. It sounds like you've kind of been in the thick of that a couple of times. Is there advice you would give to somebody who's kind of on the front end of that and just thinking about making that shift? Um, as far as coming into the DMO world, um, or yes, um, that's that's probably one of the one of the things that helped me the most is before it was a, it was a county based organization, but we were a large DMO. We had like seventy two employees because we did all the beach operations. So the beach was the number one attraction to that region in Florida. So we helped steward that. And so having that knowledge base, if you're going to shift into the tourism world, you know, being involved, there's organizations out there like Destinations International that'll, that'll have a lot of, of examples of best practices, how people are structured, and then looking at it. Like if you're going into a DMO world, you know, are you going into a nonprofit or going to work for a county or a city? Um, and the, and the expectations will be a little bit different at that point, for sure. So doing your research and if it's county or government, you know, do a program like a, a certified public manager course. So which will ingrain you if you're coming from the outside world where you've, you know, been in the corporate world and you want to go into that, then do a, do a program like that. Every state usually has one. And the CPM program will kind of give you a good overview of how government operations function. So different different world for sure is one of the strategies for us is we want to target and help the you know DMO organizations um, what are some things that you're seeing you know as you as you're in with your peers I know that you've attended some, some specific conferences what are things that you're hearing what are DMOs planning for or what should they be planning for like what what are some of the upcoming impactful changes that are going to be affecting DMOs in the next one three five years I think that, you know, we've we've all known we've went through a big challenging time, you know, the last couple of years. And so it's like maintaining an account like such as our accounting program, even for a DMO, maintaining a program that is making it one affordable because there's a lot of different budgets for a lot of different DMOs. And a lot of time the industry standard is and here's just strict administration point of it, like like a. Um, industry standard for DMOs with admin and technology is usually less than 20% of their budget. And so when you start to waver beyond that, of course, you know, they're like, well, what are you doing? Are you getting away from your core marketing and advertising and communications as mission? So being able to have a program like that is, is so important. It makes it affordable. The capabilities are going to be key for DMOs to be able to kind of Many times you'll have you know, to piece together different programs, you know, to be able to really achieve accounting goals, especially. Um, but you all have kind of fixed that challenge. And another item is, is I believe, I think we've discussed it, is a true core like CFO and accounting person at a DMO 
is going to be a little bit different than how it's structured at a, you know, corporate organization. So, you know, we've talked about looking at CPAs and how they're, they're a little less, you know, frequent um, because there's a lot more businesses that can provide that service for smaller businesses. So a lot of people are looking at that as a cost saving initiative, but there's always an administrative body at a DMO. But what ends up happening, like in my case, where I've got IT is underneath my Prevy, HR is underneath uh, my Overwatch, operations and the visitor center, along with all the finance and accounting. So that's so an ease of a system. And, and you guys thinking about that mindset of like, OK, their operations are going to be a little bit different and it's it's customizable, but it's not customizable through multiple different um, platforms and you're trying to link it together because a lot of times it's, it's just we either don't have the bandwidth or we don't have the resources available to be able to dedicate all of that so it's definitely the administrative side is a, is a working machine that's kind of behind the scenes so training and support you know for services is important you know not just a click on the help button and you find a pdf that's 600 pages long and you got to try to look through it so so that's that's going to be trust me that'll be very appreciative to any dmos we uh we often see that you mentioned the twenty percent threshold for overhead. I mean we see that across the nonprofit world. When you see that that number, I, I felt some pushback from you on that. That maybe that's not a realistic goal. Do you are DMOs making the shift in their minds from kind of a recurring operations to initiatives driven budgeting, or and do those fall into that overhead cost, or do you try to carve those initiatives and infrastructure building, capacity building, those kind of strategic projects? Do you find ways to? present those outside of operations? How do you guys approach kind of that when you engage a one, three, five-year plan like Chad was talking about earlier? How do you start to think about that? I think that, you know, some of the struggles that, that come into it when you're developing and you're trying to grow within an organization is like what uh, outsourcing is always like a main go-to, you know, if there's a portion of, you know, what you do from an administrative standpoint that you can outsource to provide more oversight. Um, I think that's important and it keeps you, you know, a lot of times within that threshold um, by doing that. Um, you know, would I love to have five employees? Absolutely. You know, do I have one and a half? Yes, I do. And so it's, it's like one of those things where you've got to learn to adapt with it. And I think, you know, it's, it's a continual, like important way on, you know, how you calculate it. Like everybody that works here still does sales and marketing. So uh, I think a lot of DMOs are looking at that. Like, you know, we've got to look at what percentage of time and get even more granular, you know, with that cost share allocation, um, you know, whether it be like operations, which would include the technology and the administrative part. So I think a lot of DMOs, in order to keep and maintain within that threshold, they do due diligence on either, you know, a methodology, like whether it be like a double step down methodology of cost sharing to say, hey, we've got to we've got to share this load of administration across sales, marketing, you know, international travel, um, partner engagement and, and account for that where, you know, back many, many years ago, it was just be like admin single line here it is I'll go over this and it's like okay so i think i think people have you know had to be creative and really you know share that across the board so they've done that here for years which was nice to walk into and that was probably one of the main reasons it's helped us maintain that 20 percent threshold 
we've, we've had conversations with with several DMO organiz, DMOs, and you you come from uh, you know that's your your background that you, you've done it for a long time. One of the ones that comes to mind is someone that comes from a corporate background and it has stepped into this DMO and organization and role. Um, it, it was. It seems like there's a learning curve, obviously, when anytime you move industry. What would be some advice that you would give for someone if they are brand new, not only to their position but and also to this industry? What What are some key things that that from a uh, what What are some advice that you would give that person? I think. I mean, a good a good thing to do, like anything else, is look into the details of that DMO that you're going into, you know, what kind of services do they provide? So you can kind of wrap your head around, you know, the mission because it may be a little bit different than working for Hewlett Packard. Um, you know, a lot of the DMOs knowing that they're ran by staff and volunteers too. So you may have a role to play within that, especially communication wise or when you're building, you know, anything from your insurance plan, you know, to your, to your supporting mechanisms. So making sure that you know that, um, DMO trends, you know, they, they tend to know the in and outs of having like strong community connections. So if you're coming from a corporate world where it really doesn't, you know, it's really not as heavy. I've worked remote for a couple of years. I work for a company that's based out of, you know, Norway. Um, then, you know, it might be that you've got to have that knowledge base that you're going to have that community engagement a little bit more than you might have in your prior role. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit more challenging to hide in a bunker and just hammer away on your Excel spreadsheets in a DMO world. You know, they're going to, they're going to want to pull you out and put you out in the community. And a lot of them will do, they'll do marketing to the region and they'll, they'll pinpoint focus all that. Um, and, they will, you know, unlike a lot of companies who focus on a specific gain or overall goal, you know, gain to the stakeholders, you've got to look at it from a regional standpoint. So if that mind shift, that mind shift will have to happen a little bit to be able to kind of embrace coming into a DMO world where it's not just this one business or these two businesses, you know, it's all the restaurants, it's all the lodging partners, all the attraction partners, you know, and then all the stakeholders and within the community. You know, who are your elected officials? You know, those are things, you know, like I talk a lot with the CFO for the city. You know, we talk often and, you know, we do a lot of collaboration with different partner groups. So definitely outside of the norm, you know, for a strict accounting type position, that's for sure. Take a little tangent here for a second on uh, a personal stuff. Burning question, since you're from Eastern Tennessee, first question, is it Appalachians or Appalachians? Okay. It's, it's, it's almost like that proper usage of the tone, you know, so if you want to really proper it, it's Appalachian, you know, but when you're there within the world, it's Appalachian, you know, it's, you know, people, ref I mean, they have their own dialect and it's, I mean, I wish I could call up a family member and bring them on board. It is different, uh, but, you know, it, it definitely is either way, either way is accepted. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting though. It's it's fun place to visit. So, follow up question to that is Appalachians, Appalachians versus Rocky Mountains, America's Mountain Pike Peak. Now that you're here in Colorado Springs, or does that start a fight? No, actually, I mean, usually, <laughs> okay. So I know that um, you know when I first 
came out here, it was, if I'll tell you how I, I got to know Colorado Springs was I actually came here for a finance and technology summit, um, back in 2019. So completely like a place where like all of us would have a good time. And so, but it was DMO focused. And so I came here and was like, I've got to see everything that I can, you know, in a very short amount of time. So it's like garden of the gods, got to do it, mark it off the list, you know, go to museums. Um, and then it was like, well, let's go to the top of Pikes Peak. So sadly, you know, us being from sea level, um, going to Pikes Peak, you know, at day two, wasn't the brightest idea in the world. So, you know, my thought process was like, Hey, you know, we'll go out there, we'll look at it and get back down. So my poor administrative staff thought I was trying to kill them all, um, by going up there, but they were, they were, they were gain. And so it, it hasn't caused like out here now that I live here, um, I, I have done the uh, incline one time, not by choice since I've been here. So, and it was only a few weeks ago. So of course let's do it in the winter. So friends from Tennessee that work in tourism, um, they wanted to come out here. They were planning a trip in 2020, had to postpone. And so they came out and they said, you know, what should we plan to do? And I was like, you know, go, go check out the museums, go to garden of the gods. You got to do it. Um, I said, you know, they said, what about this incline? I said, okay, you, why don't you just take the cog and just go up to the top? And, uh, they were like, well, you know, we're from Northeast Tennessee. I was like, but you're from 800 to a thousand feet above sea level. You know, you're going to do a 2000 foot climb from 6,000 and some change to like 8,000 and some change. So I was like, remember that do it on day three or four. They were like, great. We got it for Saturday scheduled. You're on the list. I was like, I'm on the list. They were like, yeah, you've got to go with us. So 6.30 in the morning, we take off heading up the mountain. Um, it was beautiful. I was like, you know, but the Tennessee folks, um, thank goodness that my house is at 9,000 feet. So I was like, hey, I've been training for months, just sitting in my living room. And, uh, you know, for them, so it was a little, a little bit uh, rest me at ease because I hadn't been practicing. So I was like, let's take lots of breaks. So 11 o'clock, we finally got back to the car. So it was a long morning, but it, well worth it. The views are amazing. So, uh, so yeah, we had a little bit of a, I was like, now you understand the difference between the Appalachian chain and the Rocky Mountain chain of mountains. I was like, it's, it's the elevation all day. I was like, but they enjoyed it. It was a beautiful view. Highly recommend it. Okay. Last, uh, last question on the, uh, on the kind of the fun tangent side, what is the, uh, what is your favorite, like, not well-known attraction or thing to do around the Springs. And, you know, I could go out to Woodland park. We've got garden of the gods and Pikes peak and the Olympic museum, but there's, there's things that people just don't know about pro rodeo hall of fame, things like that. What's your favorite one here in the Springs of those? Well, I think that, you know, you do, you go on and Google it, like things to do in, in Colorado Springs and you are, you're going to be hit with those high points. Um, the rodeo, the pro rodeo hall of fame is amazing. Like I, I went to it with my wife when I came out to interview and we spent a long time there. It is huge. So if you're a rodeo fan, um, you've got to go to it. Um, but I really think it's taking advantage of the views of the vistas. If you can go up and like, you know, we kept going up to the Woodland park region when we first moved here, we actually were apartments, uh, right off interquest. 
Um, and we just kept going back up there and going back up there. And so there's areas up there like the inside fluorescent, there's the fossil trails there. So you can actually, you know, it's not, it's great. If you don't want a, a huge elevation, it's pretty flat. Um, and there's some, there's so much recreation that's within that region. Like, you know, the Pikes National Forest is beautiful and there's mountain biking trails there that go on forever. There's off-road trails, things that you don't have, like where I came from, like there were no designated trails for four-wheelers and side-by-sides and your Jeep, not like this. Um, so to take advantage of something like that, I think it's kind of the hidden little thing. Like even if you've got to go rent a Jeep or rent a side-by-side and get off the beaten path, um, there's a little trail that's up called Pancake Rocks, and that's exactly what it looks like. So if you've been there, the, the views are amazing. Um, so it doesn't take 20 minutes, you know, to get to a secluded area. So I think those are some of the hidden gems, you know, within the region. That's my favorite. And the international hill climb, the race. I was like, that's a, if you've never been to that, I mean, that's well known. So I can't say that that's one of the hidden gems. Um, but you know, if you're, if you enjoy racing, and you're a car fan like me, that is an experience because you can be right there in the pit road with everybody else and the hype is there. You know, you start seeing people where you're like, is that Tanner Faust walking by? And you see people that you recognize if you know the racing community and, and people are, you know, they connect so quick there, but it's, it's adrenaline all day. And, uh, and you never know, you know, especially on that, you know, all you gotta do is Google some of those races and you can see it is type of sport so, so kind of back into the the work context here that we know the accounting and the finance industry are changing we see that all the time as we talk to companies and ex-ledger that are that are looking for middle market solutions uh, you know there's there's statistics out there one 300,000 accountants quit during covid and we i've seen that statistic recently you had a very non-traditional path to the CFO office. I mean, you, you said that at the beginning, that was not your background and yet you ended up there. So for, for the benefit of other DMOs or maybe people that think they have an interest in that track, can you kind of talk about your mindset and, and like modes of thinking that enable you to succeed as a CFO for a DMO? Sure. And you're, and you're right. It's, um, you know, like those differences with DMOs is a lot of times you're an administrative lead for the organization. So it's not just the finance side. So whenever I, I got my degree in project management, um, you know, which had accounting principles to it. And once I got into like, if you, if you happen to get into administrative role with a DMO, my best advice is to go to auxiliary training that is very DMO specific. So Destinations International has a certified destination management executive program. Um, it's almost like getting your master's degree. So multiple core classes and you've got to complete papers and do a research paper at the end. Um, but it helped me to be able to understand like all those pillars of a DMO. And so for me coming in, like I managed a state park. So I was still responsible for staff, payroll, accounts payable, um, had some assistance, you know, but when you step into a county role, you know, you've got to work on building those relationships with those knowledge bases that are around you. 
um, you know, tapping into people uh, within the region um, to like, especially if you're like me and you have to take on like an HR role. So having those resources that you can reach out to um, that can help you to keep on track with things. And the same thing with the accounting side to it. If there's a process um, that you can move into and you can, you can beef up your knowledge base on it, but also beef up your resource knowledge base, like where can we get this process you know, taken care of. A good example is I've got a friend of mine who was just like me, who is a director of administration. Um, you know, so you, you have an accounting background, but it's not like a CPA level accounting background. And you've got administrative knowledge and HR. And um, they put marketing underneath her all of a sudden. And so she was like, I don't know marketing, you know? And so she, she tapped into resources and, you know, she had went through the same CDME course with me. So there's components to it and experts that you met that you could really reach out to. And so that's one thing about the DMO world is like, you almost never feel alone. So you can really utilize, you know, that information and work together. If, if, if you need something done more than likely someone's done it and you have that relationship that you can pull it from. Um, and now she's the executive director there and, you know, coming from the administrative role, but she knew going in, like from the admin component, like we had talked about before is knowing what you could outsource. So her accounts payable is outsourced. You know, her check production and everything is outsourced because she knew that the bandwidth inside, you know, with with the limited staff, she had one other administrator there and her being the president now, they, they couldn't afford, you know, the time to be able to dedicate into it. So I think that's that's probably one of the biggest shifts and challenges. Like for me, like coming, you know, of course, accounting one, accounting two, business accounting, you know, and I got through it with my degree, but like I had to revert back to that and make sure you rely on beefing your knowledge base back up. And we're fortunate here to have, you know, people like April, who is is so savvy um, in the accounting world with accounts payable and those aspects that you, you got to build your team around you. You know, I think, I can't remember what president said it. it was like Reagan or something. It was like, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You just have to surround yourself with capable, smart people and, and be able to work together collectively, you know, to get the job done. You mentioned something there that is that we see a lot, and that is staffing and personnel. I mean, it's just it's it's everywhere. Is there a um, are you seeing that as well across? You've got an amazing staff. You're you mentioned April, and she's she's amazing. Are those some of the challenges that you're hearing as well? Just staffing, keeping people, maybe people retiring, and then not being able to backfill some of those roles. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And, and we've seen it, um, you know, we've kind of seen it across the board, like even like some of our responsibility is trying to help, obviously, the hospitality world. And it's it's taken a hit and it's taken a beating, you know, with just getting staffing up and being able to have even when restaurants open back up, it was like, well, we don't have enough people to sit the whole restaurant. We'd love to sit you. Um, so we, we see it on our side too, you know, especially from a nonprofit perspective, you know, it's not always as a competitive wage wise as the private sector is. So those are factors that we got to look into. And that's where, again, you know, like a, a position like mine, where you've got like the HR component to it, you have a culture of responsibility because truly, I mean, you, you, you should be able to, and it's my opinion that, you know, if you ask an organization, you know, what's, what's more important, you know, how you handle your people or how you handle your money. And it's like neither one are more important than the other because you really can't accomplish the mission, you know, if either one of them are mismanaged. So we, you know, part of, 
you know, the responsibility or, or one of the goals for the future here is have really good succession planning, uh, have really good, you know, uh, climate surveys that we that we utilize. They've done them before in the past, and so now we're building a plan to make sure that we we maintain a good culture and we take care of our people because you take care of your people and, and they're going to take care of you. And I think sometimes that gets forgotten in some cases, and uh, you know it causes definitely a push and challenge for that. But so I know another topic that we've talked about quite a bit. You and I, as we've had lunches, and I've gotten to know you is um, the when it comes to um, short-term rentals, Airbnb, VRBOs, um, obviously a very a, a huge market and huge industry. How are those changing the way that uh, an organization like you does does business, if at all? And what are some of those impacts of of uh, short-term rentals? I think that you know it, it it regionally is a little bit different, but you know Airbnb is now the biggest hotelier in the world. Um, you know, or accommodation, I should say, provider in the world, they're really not a hotel, but they are, I don't know, you know, there are, you know, looking into that world, but, but it is important because it's, it's, you know, if where I came from was a heavily dominated short-term rental market. And so trying to look at and forecast what those numbers could be, um, you know, from your bed tax collection was so important at the time. And so there's been some folks that have gotten on board with it um that can help track it and can help kind of give you a clearer picture of whether it be you know the 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 percentage rate that you've got you know within your region a numeric number um you know because there's complications with it because you may have one house that is on three different platforms and so if you don't have a system that communicates your numbers may be really skewed so you know we've got a few thousand short-term rentals within Colorado Springs inside the city limits, um, you know, but we also have a ton of hotels. So it's, it's almost, you know, we've got more hotel rooms than we do, um, you know, Airbnbs and VRBOs, but other destinations like where I came from, hotels only counted for about 20% of the room accommodations and, you know, maybe 25 to 30% of the revenue stream coming in from the bed tax. So we definitely had to give more attention to that. And a lot of times DMOs play a role in building, um, you know, like I talked about earlier, you know, if the community itself needs to provide a ordinance to be able to regulate or to be able to manage the program better, um, that's where we would kind of come into play to help them. Because it, some of the challenges that's seen sometimes with short-term rentals are the fact that it drives the housing market even higher. And it can also remove some of the homes from the market. So it makes it a little bit harder with that mission of, you know, we want affordable housing for our, our hospitality, you know, workers and employees. So it's, it's a balancing game. And I think we're seeing it more and more. And I think COVID or the pandemic only highlighted that um, like it did with our region here. You know, if you have, if you had an outdoor recreation, you know, type ecotourism focused resource-based recreation area like Colorado Springs where you can get out in the woods and get away, you know, people do and did, um, you know, so we, we kept pretty good numbers at the beach. It was phenomenal. Um, you know, cause as other places shut down, they, they kind of funneled that traffic. And, um, so it was harder at that point too, because a lot of people didn't want to stay in a hotel or a condo. They wanted to go multi-generational and go stay in a house or stay in a condo with their family that they've been around. And so it really drove the demand up. So the demand, you know, drove the, 
you know, more people wanted to convert homes into short-term rentals. And so for us, looking at it from that point of view, it's like, what can we provide for that? You know, whether it be a county or a city collecting the remittance off the bed tax, how can we help them to be able to make sure they're, they're on, on par with the number so that there, if there is some people that might not be remitting the tax, we can help them educate the public better. So another part of, you know, our world that we do, we do a lot of research. And so or we try to communicate a lot of research and work with different organizations. Um, and part of it is that, you know, trying to make sure that people know and are educated. And I think you, one of the things that you mentioned is just, um, you know, the forecasting of, of what that is going to look like. Obviously, from a we're a technology company, so I think I would be remiss not to talk a little bit about technology. An organization that does not have um, a huge technology initiative, are they um, going to fall behind if they don't get out in front of, um, you know, being able to be more integrated with other platforms? Are there technologies available that they can gather some of the data from those, you know, the Airbnbs, the VRBOs? What would what would be your advice for someone who walks into a role and they are not technologically advanced? Let's say. Gotcha. Um, that's it's it is growing. You know, every day um, it's growing, and there's someone else that has or some other organization has kind of tapped into the reporting market. I think for the hotelier side to it, if you're walking into a DMO world. Um, being being aware that there's like Smith Travel Research, which is very hotel focused, um, they can provide you tons of data on that region and also give you a competitive set. So their technology is 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 relatively advanced um, for the short term rentals. That's a new that's kind of a new uh, new trend that's happening. And, um, you know, key data was an organization that I worked with. Um, back in Florida, they kind of started there. They were a, a short-term rental management company. Um, so they had, you know, over, I don't know, maybe 200 to 300, you know, rental management units and really wanted to try to go, hey, there's nobody out there really producing statistical analysis of short-term rentals. How can we jump on board with that and create a technology branch that can help, you know, look at your RevPAR, look at your, you know, average nightly rate, uh, you know, look at your booking percentage change. And so like any other technology, it's like, you know, good information in, good information out. So it took a while to build that. But once they did, it, it became a, a relatively smart tool. And, and one thing about technology that's availability for DMOs is a lot of those are tailored around the size of your company, which is great, or the size of your budget. So they may look like, well, you know, we don't want to charge you, you know, we don't want to charge, you know, Kingsport, Tennessee. Um, the same rate as what we would charge Nashville, you know, two different markets, two different DMOs, two different, you know, amounts of data needs and sets. So that's, that's one thing, you know, for folks that may not be, so either have a large budget or may not be so technologically savvy is tapping into those resources and looking at if they offer, you know, kind of a scaled rate according to how big your organization is or how big your region is that you cover makes a big difference. You said something in there, so CFO, CFO to CFO comment or question on this one is um, I, I heard you mention some stuff about, you know, units and, and the tax rates and some of these things. 
is there a shift in in the DMO space that you know historically in nonprofits and all sorts of industries people did kind of percentage growth budgets and now I think some of the technology's got to the point where you can engage more of a a units based metric to use in budgeting are you seeing are you using that more of a units based build up zero based budgeting approaches are you still doing the percentage growth approach inside visit cos and where do you see the industry going gotcha well a lot and 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 you're right there's there has to be almost a you know the more data that we've got the more comparative data to go okay last year you know this is what we're looking at you know we got our and a lot of times with the forecasting for budgetary numbers i would look at like what is our trending rate you know the first three months of booking you know for the next physical year um, compared to last year. All right. It's a percentage. So a lot of it is still, you know, might be a 2% growth. So a lot of it is still off of that. Um, some organizations like us, you know, we, we go into a contract with the city and have a set rate. So that helps us tremendously kind of with our cash flow. Um, you know, to understand, we know we've got this income that's going to be coming in and it'll be stable for next year. Whereas where I came from before, it was all based on percentage. It was all based on the bed tax collecting collection itself. You know, so if we had a great year and we made 20 million, then our budget was 20 million. You know, if we had a, a rough year and we had, you know, 16 million, then our budget was 16 million. So then you had to do all the behind the scenes, like how are we going to cut? How are we going to make it work? You know, how are we going to keep things moving forward? What type of reserve component do we have? So a lot of folks like us, you know, have built a reserve plan or do we have an investment or an opportunity program, you know, where we can put some of our reserve capital into, you know, to kind of have that cushion um, just in case we do have a dip so we can keep people employed and kind of keep the core mission moving forward. I don't know if I've got all those points or not, but you know, it started making me think, okay, what did I go through recently? But it's, a, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely changing, but, uh, but, you know, for the, for the most part, DMOs are still after that core mission of the, you know, marketing the destination, but also creating quality improvement aspects to the community, uh, whether it be, you know, we're doing a program we're looking at um, with MMGY, which is a big research study group, uh, that's very DMO focused. So we're looking at accessibility. And so we were one of the first destinations to jump on board with, you know, how accessible is your town? How accessible, you know, is that accommodation structure? And, you know, so we're, we're collectively, we're in the beginning phase of that. And, you know, we're looking for a good report that we can share uh, with either pre-existing you know, attractions and accommodations within the region, but also provide that service for new builds, you know, because, you know, you may not think like that carpet's too thick in that hallway. So if someone's in a chair, they're going to have a really rough time turning, you know, because you picked the hotel standard thick carpet, it's lush, it's pretty, but, you know, there's little unforeseen things. So other ways that we're tapping into some research that's out there available now, or DMO focused, you know, companies like MMGY are jumping on board to go, what can we do more? And uh, so it's, 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 it's going to be a project, but it'll be a good one. So we're, we're excited about it. As you, as you talk about just data, data everywhere at this point, you know, you can, it's just coming out your ears. Um, 
so much so that I'm assuming like a lot of organizations, you're just swimming in it and it's almost drinking from the fire hose. When you're trying to make management decisions or you're trying to really stay on top of stuff, are there just a handful of metrics that you tend to look at? And if so, what are they? I mean, you know, for us, you know, if we're looking at data and we're looking at the core of uh, what we can really pull from, yes, we're looking at trends uh, from data of, you know, what are the rental rates? You know, how how is our, you know, visitation numbers? You know, we'll look at core data of, you know, what is the makeup of the typical visitor that visits us in a given year? You know, were they, how many of those were day trippers? How many of those were staying overnight? What was the average spend of the day trippers and the overnight person? You know, what's their age range? You know, how's the demographics of it? Um, so those factors help us obviously with our marketing communication plan, as well as showing that needle move. So if we've got, we've got 41 KPIs that we report, um, to the city on that we track. So from sales to marketing. And, um, so those are some of the factors that we use to go, okay, here's, here's where we're moving the needle, or here's the trend and the shift that we're seeing. Um, we'll use reporting. Um, uh, you know, along with that traveler and the state of travel, but we'll also then use it to, you know, measure that against standards throughout the state, standards throughout the United States to kind of see where we're at on course with, um, of course, from STAR, that Smith Travel Research. I just got a report yesterday, so I could really kind of look at our trend of where we're at um, with visitation. You know, what was the demand? You know, what was our occupancy percentage? What was the average nightly rate? You know, how much money did they make per room, you know, overhead wise? How much did, you know, they net profit they made? So we'll use those figures to look at the variances and really, you know, 2020 for a lot of places was a rough year to compare your analysis to. So a lot of people are looking at 2019 um, or they had stellar like 2020 and 2021. Um, so you're trying to sit there and go, okay, well, you know, there's, there's more competition now. Um, there's more, you know, there's less restrictions, more people are traveling. Um, are we going to see a shift in numbers? And so looking at that and communicating with places like the airport, um, you know, to see what their, you know, travel is looking like and sharing that data with other organizations so we can kind of get a better picture is something that we strive to do because you, you never know. I mean, everybody knows what happened during Christmas. It was a challenging time for airlines. So, you know, did we lose some visitation because people just couldn't quite make it here? Or are people going to lose trust in the airlines a little bit this summer? And may we, may we see a little bit more of a drive market? So do we use that? If that statistic comes out, do we use that and put it into our marketing plan or media plan to talk about how drivable our destination is? So those type of data sets are, it's almost like it's, it's a breathing, like what changed? How did the wind blow today and how did it shift? And what can we do to try to, you know, make sure that we're targeting, you know, especially who we're trying to market to. I don't know if you know, if there's regulatory stuff coming down the pipeline for DMOs, 990 updates, things like that, that they're going to have to, from a regulatory and compliance perspective, be looking forward to, I think some of those things might be good. So, you know, for us, you know, like one of the, the biggest thing, like DMOs industry has changed, you know, in the past five years, for sure, especially going through COVID, you know, we've had limitations for travel, which may have provided other services or limited staff um, and how they grow and, and the responsibility 
in the fight even harder to show the value for a lot of DMOs. You know, advocacy has been so important and has grown and to be an important part of what DMOs provide. Some such as, you know, Florida and ecotourism locations, like I talked about, you know, earlier have really grown in visitation the past two years, but it sounds great. But, you know, when you're trying to advocate for your existence and advocate for, well, why do you need me? You know, everybody already knows, you know, that we exist. Why do we even need a tourism department? So then you have to, you know, you have to show them, you know, that there's more to it than that. You know, you have to have a diverse advertising marketing plan. And so you've got to be using that research to be able to hit the mark with it. And then, you know, and then you cap, you put on top of that, like any, you know, HR legality rule changes or, you know, whether it be, you know, labor law changes, you know, that are happening in that given year. And how are you going to make sure that you've taken care of your people and you're following the state and federal guidelines, you know, with the new family medical act that, you know, the state of Colorado has done. Those are aspects of it that you've got to look in depth in and go, okay, are we, you know, we're not exempt, so we, we need to collect it. We need to remit it. You know, how can we take care of our people, make sure they understand that? And so the communication side on all of those, whether it be the insurance changes or, you know, the benefits and, and you know, evaluating your staff frequently to make sure they're in the right roles and they're in the right position. Are they exempt? Are they non-exempt? Do they know what that is? So not to get onto the HR side to it, but that's another aspect of it, you know, that really affects, you know, not just your budget, your operations, also, you know, the happiness of the individuals, you know, that are part of the team. So we're definitely looking at any regulatory changes, you know, that may come up, whether it be city or state level. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of um, either a moratorium or limitations, you know, for short term rentals. So those are aspects, you know, that you look at, you know, if they're if they're like you can only have 181 short term rentals within the city limits, then, OK, you know, how do you use that statistically to calculate and try to forecast, you know, if there's no, you know, additional growth within the world, how do you kind of shift of what your expectations are for, you know, revenue in the future? So that that's a continual, you know, you have to keep involved and plugged in with the community with changes, whether it be state, federal, uh, county, city level, to see how it's going to impact your organization. Uh, so it's, it's definitely. I have a follow up to that, <clears throat> and it's regulatory and compliance, but. One of the things that's impacting us as an organization is people are wanting to know more and more about X Ledger, our, our drive towards sustainability, right? What is our carbon footprint? And that's becoming more and more part of our, our sales conversations. You mentioned ecotourism. Do you see that as a, a I know that you're 100% off the grid personally, right? It's your own personal home. Do you, are, you, are you seeing seeing that affecting the industry in general obviously here ecotourism people want to come and get outside but is those things that are affecting conversations um as well yes i do I, I think so i think that's that's you know my own opinion is kind of coming from a park service background it's like if anything during COVID time too it kind of rose that awareness of getting outside and you know kind of exploring you know beyond your living room or a hotel to the pool to the beach back to the hotel um and i think that's set kind of a trend change for people and i think people are more aware of like you know what am i doing or how responsible or irresponsible that i'm being because when you get out and you get into nature and you're looking at you know visiting a region you might not have seen before you may see things that either hit you you know, in a bad way, like, man, nobody cleans up after themselves in this region. 
And so then that starts clicking in your mind, like, how can I make less of a footprint, you know, with either my business and how I operate or, you know, my lifestyle and how I live. And so that's, that's good that you guys are tracking on that because it is, it's important to a lot of people because, you know, the earth's been here for thousands and thousands of years and we want it to stay here for thousands and thousands more. And, you know, the, the pure fact that you can take a technology-based system such as your and alleviate a lot of the paper trails, alleviate, you know, you're right there. I mean, I'm going to save money because I'm not making copies and I'm not printing as many copies and I'm not keeping the eight filing cabinets that are behind me full because I was like, hey, in 2023, we don't need these files. <laughs> you know, they're all going to be electronic. So it's good that you guys put that at the forefront and make that a kind of a mission focus. I think it'll it'll do you well in the future. Well, I do have a final wrap up question and we'll give, I'm going to put you on the spot. So if I were, we're, I'm, we're biased because we're all here in Colorado Springs, but if you were speaking to someone from Kingsport, Tennessee, or where my in-laws are in Sir Goinsville, Tennessee, what, what, how, why would you say that I should come and visit Colorado Springs? Um, I think that one is, you know, it, even though it feels like a long way, it's not that far away at all. Um, and you know, you have the hills of Tennessee, that's how it's pitched. And then you have the Rocky mountains. So if you've never seen the difference between a hill and a mountain, then we can definitely introduce you to that without a doubt. But the good part about it is like, there's, there's, you know, it might be cliche, but there's something for everyone here, you know, whether it's a flying W ranch where you can go and have a great barbecue and watch an amazing, you know, group of musicians perform and then go and like experience, you know, kind of like back, you know, history type, you know, ex you know, lifestyle or, or life. And then you can turn right around and go to, you know, see Snoop Dogg in concert downtown if that's what you want to go and do. So that's, that's exciting in itself that you can have both of those aspects, you know, of entertainment, but then in 30 minutes, you know, you're in the mountains and you may see elk, um, you're definitely going to see wildlife that you might not see as much out in Tennessee because of just the pure vastness of public lands here is, is next level. And then plus, I mean, if they're from Kingsport, I'm probably related to them. And so they could just stay at the house. You know, I got a spare room, you know, you can't see a neighbor, you know, off grid. Um, <laughs> it's definitely, a, it's definitely something you know, for everyone and no one, no one absolutely would be bored. And it's real easy to find your peace here in Colorado Springs, especially in the Pikes Peak region. Uh, it doesn't take that long. Thank you. Just came up with a new tagline. Find your peace. I love it. See, thank you. See, I'm, 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 yes. My, it's funny because in, you know, out in, on the Southeast Tourism Society is a tourism based um, organization that does a lot of education and they've been around, they were the very first real tourism organization, uh, in the United States that I know of. So I went to a marketing college there because I was told by two different people on the same day, you need to go to marketing college. So they have a program there and it really opened my eyes up to like, everybody's in marketing and sales. It doesn't matter where you work at almost or what you do at some point, you're going to have to talk about your organization, your company and, and, you know, it, it helped me learn a lot. So yeah, maybe find your piece in Colorado yeah. Springs. Bam. There it is. That's right. I nailed it. No. 
<laughs> Jason, thanks for uh, stopping in, for sharing some of this with us. Uh, we appreciate your time and you know learning about what you do and kind of the DM more about the DMO space. And we're excited to continue to work beside you guys as you're you're doing your work and and better in this Pikes Peak region in Colorado Springs. Oh, absolutely, we're excited. We're excited about the relationship and. You know, I'm excited about the program. It's definitely already saving us time here. So we are super thankful.